Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast, the podcast where two ladies play games involving a wheel, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast co- covers topics of sensitive nature. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hello, people of outer space. So we real fucked up last time. (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. headphone listeners until the end of time. Also, we span at the end of the episode and told you we'd be talking about middle of nowhere crimes, but apparently none of us own a calendar because we're actually talking about Mother's Day crimes. So don't worry, we'll do Mother's Day this time and then middle of nowhere crimes. Actually, next week's also a special episode. We're talking about royal crimes. Actually, I don't own a calendar, (laughs) so eventually we'll be doing. We're going to talk about middle of nowhere crimes in the near future, but Mm -hmm. like not right now. Yep, that's fair. But welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast. My name is Emily. And my name is Jen. And this week, <laughs> we're talking about Mother's, Mother's Day, Day crimes. crimes. Wow, that was so in sync for us. That was. I know, I was eyeballing it and being like, are we too loud? <laughs> are we murdering people with our voices? No, just their eardrums. You know, nothing important. Yeah, you guys don't need to hear, do you? I know I don't. I've been deaf for years. <laughs> it's true. Emily's mom once took her to get her ears tested because she swore she was deaf. Disclaimer, I'm not actually deaf, but I have been taken in by my mom on three different times to get my hearing checked. Turns out she's just ignoring us. <laughs> well, like, intentionally. <laughs> I grew up reading a lot of books. It just comes naturally. <laughs> I'm good at tuning out noise. Mm, nice. Yep. Nice. But, as at the beginning of every episode, every week, we are going to spin the wheel of crime to answer some questions. All right. So, Jen, what is the funniest thing you've seen a parent do? Let me think about that. I know, it's kind of tricky, hey? I think the funniest thing my mom has ever done is we were on a vacation in BC, and she... I was really young. I was like six years old or younger, maybe. Mm-hmm. And my brother and sister were both taking a surf lesson. And I naturally wanted to hang out with them because they're my cool older siblings. I was going to say, your older siblings, me picturing them surfing is something else. <laughs> <laughs> one's an accountant, one's a lawyer. So. <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> but anyways, I really wanted to hang out with them, but I was too young to do the surf lesson. So my mom was like, okay, you can sit by the beach, but you can't go in the water because I was too young and it there was lots of big waves and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I was sitting and playing by the water and I guess she forgot where I was sitting and my siblings were both in the water at this point because before they were just on the sand doing some warm-ups or whatever. Doing sand stuff. Doing sand stuff. (laughs) And thought I had gone in the water with them because she saw somebody bobbing up and down through the waves. So she panics. And my mom was, like, fully clothed, like, holding her purse, running. She, like, literally ran (laughs) past me into (laughs) the water. Like, my baby, my baby. (laughs) And she was trying to save me. And I was just, like sitting there looking at her run into the water my dad like comes and stands beside me he's like what's going on with your mom 
I love your dad being like, hey, what's she doing? <laughs> she, like, comes, like, trudging back out because she, like, turned around and saw me standing there talking to my dad and, like, her entire purse is just soaked. <laughs> so. That's fair. That is really funny. But she was so mad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is really funny. I don't know for me because you already know this, but my parents are very funny as people so i feel like most of the funny things are more of like interactive humor rather than like funny things they themselves do right so like i do have this one memory where my family was driving out to the coast to visit my granny and we'd pulled over on the side of the road at one point because uh my i'm the oldest of six so i have a lot of younger siblings and as uh, little people are they have very small bladders and like to pee everywhere across the country if you're ever doing a road trip yeah as little people do yep so we ha- were pulled over into a turnout somewhere outside of vancouver and i was in the vehicle with my dad because i didn't have to use the washroom so he was just like looking at the map trying to figure out where to go because even though he had a phone he was still using a map <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a very your dad thing to do uh-huh i was like looking into the bushes just to, out of like boredom And I saw something in the bushes and it was like white and kind of blue. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I looked at my dad and I was like, hey, dad, what kind of bird is that? And so he looks at me and he's like, Emily, that's a diaper. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, and so everybody came back and he's like, hey, guys, guess what Emily saw? And I was like, Dad, stop. And then he had the whole van chanting, diaper break, diaper break. (laughs) (laughs) The whole way to my granny's house. And still, still today, if you mention to my parents diaper bird, they both look at me and they're like, you're stupid. You're so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh, all right. Next spin. (laughs) All right. Uh, what's the weirdest thing you've seen a child eat? I think kids eat a lot of really strange things in general. Well, the first thing that popped in my head, I feel like, is probably a story you want to share from when we were in Europe, which I know we talk about a lot, but that was actually quite recent for us. (laughs) We were at the Globe Theater. (laughs) We were trying to be fancy and watch a Shakespeare play at the Globe Theater on our our last day in London. But like a peasant, because we had to stand on the floor and they would get very mad at you if you go to sit on the floor. See, before we went to London, somebody was like, oh yeah, you can get standing room tickets at the Globe for five euro. And I was like, that sounds awesome. And then we bought them and we got there and I realized, no, this sucks. I should have paid the extra like 10 euro, whatever it is, to sit down. You're like, I like chairs. (laughs) We've been walking all day. And my backpack was huge. And everybody was angry. But... And so we're standing there, and they don't let you sit down on the floor either. They're like, nah, nah. You gotta stand. You're in the standing room. You gotta room. pay those extra 10 euros to sit. Fuck yeah. <laughs> but there was this monster child <laughs> eating popcorn, and it was like throwing the popcorn on the ground, stepping on the popcorn, and then it would like pick up the popcorn and eat it. And the mom just looked at it and was like... I'm so done with you because this baby was like screaming and like insane being a total shit disturber. This child was completely insane. Completely. I don't know. I think like you said, kids eat a lot of weird things, but I think the weirdest one I've ever seen was I had, 
a young child, and I, I can't remember when this was. I feel like it was one of my siblings' friends at one point come up to me and offer me a rock, and they'd be like, here, I got you a snack. And I was like, oh, no, thank you, I'm full. And they were like, okay. And they put the rock in their mouth and swallowed, and I was like, ah! That's going to be an interesting development later on. <laughs> it's going to be a long journey home, Rocky. <laughs> I was like, uh, that's not a pet rock, that's a snack rock. Okay. <laughs> Nasty. Mm-hmm. All right, so would you rather be a dog mom or a plant mom? Dog mom. Right? I know, same. Immediately. Like I love today. my plants, but I always murder them. You and literally can't keep a plant alive to save your life. Okay, I had a bonsai tree, which your mom tells me is a fern. It's a fergus. Whatever. It's a bonsai tree to me. <laughs> and it's, I've kept this thing alive for four years. Ficus, not a fergus. A ficus. <laughs> Whatever. I've kept my ficus alive for four years, so I'm pretty damn proud of That's that. That's because they're a desert plant. <laughs> they don't need much water, but you can't even keep your desert plants alive. I kill succulents, guys. I kill them. They were just fucking murdered. It's true. My mom dropped me off at uh, Jen's house one time, and she's like, oh, I want to come in and see Jen's new apartment. And then she walked around, and she's like, these plants are thirsty. And <laughs> she went and watered all of Jen's plants, and I was like, this is hilarious. And I wasn't even home. No, you weren't. <laughs> we just broke into apartment and watered your plants and left. But, yeah, I would be a dog mom because, well, because... Dogs are adorable? Yeah, and I just really love them. And especially lately, because it's the springtime now, I've been seeing a lot more dogs out and about, and that's really made it a lot worse for me. Like, some people get baby fever. No, no, no. I get dog fever. Seriously. Like, bad dog fever. I have been wanting to adopt a dog for probably five years, and just recently I'm like... Too bad, boyfriend. We're getting one. (laughs) He's like, I don't know if I want one. You're like, well, I do. So guess what we're getting? I'm coming home tomorrow or maybe the next day. You never know when we're gonna get a puppy (laughs) as soon as I find one. I feel like because he knows he's a person, though, he's probably already okay with that. He is. Right? All right. We're on to our last question. So what is a happy memory with your mom? Aww. Aww. Um. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I don't have any happy memories. I mean, her running into the ocean trying to save me was a pretty happy memory. <laughs> I don't think so for her. <laughs> um. When we graduated high school, I was planning on moving to a place called Medicine Hat to go to school to become an addictions counselor. I do remember that. I was supposed to leave in, like, a month and a half to go, and I remember I kind of decided I didn't want to go anymore. I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I just know I didn't want to move four hours away to a town that, sorry, no offense if you're from Medicine Hat, but has, like, nothing (laughs) that interests me. We're going to have people message us and be like, no, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember sitting down with my mom, having coffee with her, and being like, I don't want to move to Medicine Hat. Like, I know we've already kind of, like, put down deposits for res and, like, done all this stuff, but, like, I just really don't want to go. And she just hugged me, and she's like, that's okay. You'll figure something else out. Like, you don't have to go. I'm not mad. Because I thought she was going to be mad at me, like... Oh, of course, Because we already already put money down, and, like, I was already planning on moving there, and did not have a backup plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Aw. Well, that is sweet. I know. 
My mom, what a gem. You see, I spend a lot of time with my mom, so I don't really know if I can pick one happy memory. I just you gotta. Gen- you I, wrote the questions. I know, but I didn't plan ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I do have a memory with my mom, and it's kind of a silly one, where we were out shopping for errands, and I went and I saw these face masks on sale that were like animal face masks. Well, not like face masks as in like a beauty thing, but like eye covers for when you're sleeping. And I was like, oh, these would be so funny to buy for the people we know. And mom was like, yeah, no, that'd be really, really funny. And I was like, oh man, like, I wonder what they look like. So we like spent like 20 minutes trying on all these different animal face masks. And they were really funny. And I ended up buying her a reptile one because you've seen the picture and it's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) It's now uh, her face on my phone for when she calls me. It's her wearing this reptile mask with eyes going in completely different directions. That's so sweet. (laughs) It's really funny. But yeah, no, that's a happy memory with my mom. No. Right? I know, isn't that sweet? Happy Mother's Day! We're yeah. gonna talk about some not-so-happy Mother's Day moments coming up here. But... Yeah, well, mine's a stretch. As usual. <laughs> so, but I will tell you a description. Sure. About Mother's Day. Tell me. Or more specifically, about mothers. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> In case you didn't know what a mother was. Yes, so I'm here to tell you that. Right now. Emily, Captain Obvious. <laughs> yes, here to help you. <laughs> Tell you something you already know today. <laughs> so, a mother is the female parent of a child. And the end. <laughs> no. Mothers are women who inhabit or perform the role of bearing some relation to their children, who may or may not be their biological offspring. Thus, dependent on the context, women can be considered mothers by virtue of having given birth, by raising child, Ren, bracket, Ren, <laughs> like child, bracket, Ren, bracket, as in <laughs> child or children, <laughs> it's fine, supplying their ovum for fertilization or some combination thereof. Such conditions provide a way of delineating the concept of motherhood or the state of being a mother. Women who meet the third and first categories usually fall under the terms of birth mother or biological mother, regardless of whether the individual in question goes on to parent their child. Accordingly, a woman who meets only the second condition (laughs) may be considered an adoptive mother and those who meet only the first or the third a surrogacy mother. Cool. Uh Uh-huh. That was just a really, really long way of saying moms take care of kids and that's what moms are. Now you know. The more you know. (laughs) Knowledge is power. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get you that kids TV show stat. (laughs) Knowledge is power. (laughs) We're going to make you a superhero on it. You know why? You know what my superpower is? Knowledge! (laughs) I use knowledge as a weapon! (laughs) All the supervillains, pow, 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 I shot you down with facts. Oh my god. Fun fact, you're dead. (laughs) Fun fact, you're wrong. (laughs) I'm doing that from now on. Fun fact, you're wrong. (laughs) You gotta do it with the finger gun, it makes it so much more effective. Sorry. (laughs) You're done. You're out of here. <laughs> Anyways, tell me your story. Okay, I'm going to tell you the story today of Andrea Pia Yates, who was born on July 2nd, 1964 in Hallsville, Texas, USA. She was the youngest of five children. Her mother was named 
Judah Karen Kohler, a German immigrant, and an- and her father was Andrew Emmett Kennedy, whose parents were Irish immigrants. She suffered from bulimia during her teenage years. She also suffered from depression, and at 17, she spoke to a friend about suicide. She graduated from Milby High School in 1982, and she was the class valedictorian, captain of the swim team, an officer in the National Honor Society. Yates completed a two-year pre-nursing program at the University of Houston and graduated from the University of Texas School of Nursing. From 1986 to 1994, she worked as a registered nurse at the University of Texas Anderson Cancer Center. In summer 1989, she met Russell Yates, who went by Rusty. Oh, Rusty. Rusty Yates. Who was two months her junior at the Sunscape Apartments in Houston. They soon moved in together and were married on April 17th, 1993. They announced that they would seek to have as many babies as nature allowed and brought a four... That's an interesting, interesting (laughs) thing to announce to the public. (laughs) Excuse me, public. We will bring forth as many children as humanly possible. Can you imagine seeing that in the newspaper? Just like... (laughs) Front page. Woman announces she will have many children. She will have as many babies as physically possible. Oh, God. Yikes. That sounds terrible to me. So, they bought a four-bedroom house in Fredswood, Texas. Their first child, Noah, was born in February 1994, just before Rusty accepted a job offer in Florida, so they relocated to a small trailer in Semiloin. By the time of the birth of their third child, Paul, they had moved back to Houston and purchased a GMC motorhome. Mm. The brand is super important, guys. All right. It's not. (laughs) Just a fun fact. Because knowledge is power. Oh my god. (laughs) Following the birth of her fourth child, Luke, Yates became depressed. On June 16th, 1999, Rusty found her shaking and chewing her fingers. The next day, she attempted to commit suicide by overdosing on pills. She was admitted to the hospital and prescribed antidepressants. Soon after her release, she begged Rusty to let her die and she held the knife up to her neck. Once again hospitalized, she was given a cocktail of medications including Haldol, an antipsychotic drug. Her condition improved immediately and she was prescribed it on her release. After that, Rusty moved the family into a small house. She appeared temporarily stabilized. In July 1999, Yates suffered a nervous breakdown, which accumulated in two suicide attempts and two psychiatric hospitalizations that summer. This is very sad. She was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. Aww. I know. That's super sad. (laughs) It started sad and then it just got sadder. It gets even sadder, guys. Oh, nice. Yates's first psychiatrist, Dr. Eline Starbranch, testified that she urged her and Rusty not to have any more children as it would guarantee future psychotic depression. Mm-hmm. They conceived their fifth and final child approximately seven weeks after her discharge. She stopped taking Haldoth, that psychiatric drug, in March 2000 and gave birth to her daughter, Mary. On November 30th, 2000, she seemed to be coping well until the death of her father on March 12th, 2001. Yates then stopped taking medication, mutilated herself, and read the Bible feverishly. She stopped feeding Mary. She became so incapacitated that she required immediate hospitalization. On April 1st, 2001, she came under the care of Dr. Mohammed C. 
Seade. Uh-huh. She was treated and released, and on May 3rd, 2001, she degenerated back to her into a near catatonic state and filled the bathtub in the middle of the day. She would later confess to police that she had planned to drown the children that day, but had decided against doing it then. She was hospitalized the next day after a scheduled doctor visit. Her psychiatrist determined that she was probably suicidal and had filled the tub to drown herself. So, all of that brings us up to June 20th, 2001, where Yates and her family were living in the Houston suburb of Clear Lake City. She continued under Dr. Seed's care until June 20th, 2001, when Rusty left for work, leaving her alone to watch the children against Dr. Seed's instructions to supervise her around the clock. His mother, Dora Yates, had been scheduled by him to arrive an hour later to take over for her. In the space of that hour, she drowned all five children. Oh my gosh. Why do people do this? If the doctor tells you something, you do what the doctor says. The guy knows what he's talking about most of the time. He went to education school. Knowledge is power, guys. Knowledge is power. It saves lives. (laughs) She started with John, Paul, and Luke and then laid them in her bed. She then drowned Mary, whom she left floating in the tub. Noah came in and asked what was wrong with Mary. Then he ran, but she soon caught him and drowned him too. She left him floating in the tub and laid Mary in John's arms in the bed. She then called the police repeatedly, saying she needed an officer but would not say why. Then she called Rusty, telling him to come home right away. She had been suffering for some time from very severe postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, and schizophrenia. Oh, nice. That is quite the mixture there. I know. Yates confessed to drowning her children. Prior to her second trial, she told Dr. Mike Wellner that she waited for Rusty to leave for work that morning before filling the bathtub because she knew he would have prevented her from harming them. After the murders, police found the family dog locked up. Rusty advised Wellner that it had normally been allowed to run free and was so when he had left the house that morning, leading the psychiatrist to allege that she locked it in the cage to prevent it from interfering with her killing the children one by one. Oh, nice rusty got a friend the dog cares more about the kids than she does well i think that's not that she doesn't care about them it's just she's so mentally not there that like yeah but even so if you are taking measures to prevent help for your kids like that yeah. is next level i'm gonna say interesting because i don't have a word for that but it's next level uh-oh yes Uh Uh-oh, indeed. (laughs) Rusty got a family friend, George Parnham, to act as her attorney. Although the defense's expert testimony agreed that Yates was psychotic, Texas law requires that in order to successfully assert the insanity defense, the defendant must prove he or she could not discern the right from wrong in the time of the crime. In March 2002, a jury rejected the insanity defense and found her guilty. Although the prosecution had sought the death penalty, the jury refused that option. The trial court sentenced her to life imprisonment in the Texas Department of Criminal justice with eligibility for parole in 40 years you see though rejecting the insanity plea though like she was suffering from a lot of mental health disorders yeah like i feel like she really should not have gone to jail she should have gone to somewhere in this case especially there like are there certain people where you hear about what happens and you're like hey well this person needs help beyond jail that that of just imprisonment yeah no kidding (laughs) 
On January 6, 2005, a Texas Court of Appeals reversed the convictions because California psychiatrist and prosecution witness Dr. Park Dietz admitted that he had given materially false testimony during the trial. In his testimony, Dietz had stated that shortly before the murders, an episode of Law and Order had aired featuring a woman who drowned her children and was acquitted of murder by reason of insanity. Author and later Yale University lecturer Suzanne O'Malley was covering the trial for the Oprah magazine, <laughs> the oh. New York Times magazine, and NBC News. She had previously been a writer for Law and Order and immediately reported that no such episode existed. Mm, nice. Two years later, Later in 2004, Law and Order Criminal Intent did air an episode called Magnificent based on part of Yates's case. Oh, well, there you go. The appeal court had ununanimously decided that the jury might have been influenced by Dietz's false testimony and therefore a new trial would be necessary. On January 9th, 2006, Yates again entered pleas of not guilty by reason of insanity. On February 1, 2006, she was granted release on bail on the condition that she be admitted to a mental health treatment facility, which I feel like is probably the best case scenario for her because she really needs help, Mm -hmm. clearly. Yeah, for sure. On July 26, 2006, after three days of deliberation, Yeats was found not guilty by reason of insanity and... As defined by the state of Texas, she was therefore committed to the North Texas State Hospital Vernon Campus. In January 2007, she was moved to the Kerrville State Hospital, a low-security mental facility in Kerrville, Texas. Although psychiatrists for both Texas's state prosecutors and her defense lawyers agreed that she was severely mentally ill with one of several psychotic diseases at the time she killed her children, the state of Texas asserted that she was, by legal definition, aware enough to judge her actions as right or wrong despite her mental defect. The prosecution further implied spousal revenge as motives for the killing despite the conclusion of defense experts that there was no evidence to support such a motive. Although the original jury believed that she was legally aware of her actions, they disagreed that her motive was spousal revenge. Right, because there was no previous recorded anything between her and her husband that would involve any type of revenge or, like, divorce or, you know, whatever else would be going on, right? Exactly. So that didn't even really make sense to me. Yates' brother, Brian Kennedy, told Larry King on a broadcast of CNN's Larry King Live that oh. Rusty expressed to him in 2001 while transporting her to Dirksville Treatment Facility that all depressed people needed was a swift kick in the pants to get them motivated. Mm. So... Obviously. Yeah, it's well, just you, that simple. Well, you know, mental health isn't something you really need help for, right? You're sad? Just get over it, right? Oh my goodness. Why Why are you so sad? Why? Come on. Change it. Don't just, be sad. Yeah, just don't be sad anymore. It's, a, it's that simple. Disclaimer, mental health is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't say that anymore. <laughs> we are very good at being sarcastic. Her mother, Judah Kennedy, expressed shock when she heard of Rusty's plan while at the gathering with them, saying Yates wasn't stable enough to care for the children. She noted that Yates demonstrated she wasn't in her right mind when she nearly choked Mary by trying to feed her solid food. So I kind of feel like the husband should have taken some responsibility for this whole thing because the doctor specifically said, yeah, don't leave her alone with the children. And then like, 
he left her alone with the children. Yeah, and you got to think, too, like, uh, we don't really hear much about what the husband was like, but maybe at this point he was already checked out a bit anyways, right? Like, having to deal with... Deal with her would be a lot on a person as well, right? Right, because not only does she have all these other problems that require, like, medication and, like, doctor check-ins and visits and all this other stuff, but you also have a family to raise and somebody's got to work. Exactly. Right? I feel like he probably also should have taken some responsibility because clearly he was not... I would say that if you're not following the doctor's orders and you already know that she's a danger to herself and others, especially her own children, then it may be in your best interest to not leave her alone with your kids. No kidding. Or alone, period. No kidding. God. According to author Susie Spencer and Suzanne O'Malley, who investigated her story in great detail, it was during a phone call to Dr. Siad made to Rusty during the breaking news of the killings that Siad first learned that she was not being supervised full-time. Yates's first psychiatrist, Dr. Eline Star Ranch, says that she was shocked to disbelief during an office visit with the couple. They expressed a desire to discontinue her medication so she could become pregnant again. She warned and counseled them against having more children and noted in the medical record two days later, apparently patient and husband plan to have as many babies as nature will allow, exclamation mark. But then again, that's another thing too, is that like, if I'm putting myself into this situation where I have had children and I have postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis and all this other stuff, you're struggling every day to just get by. Why would you want to have more kids from that position? I don't know. Maybe her husband was pressuring her. I have no idea why they were so... Right? Like, it communicates in a very strange way because just not like it's an experience I've had, but reading other people's testimonies of what it's like to live yeah. with postpartum depression. Most people don't want to have kids in that time. Like, they don't even want the kid that they have. No kidding. Right? So that it, that comes across being very strange anyways. Yeah. So the doctor went on to say, this will surely guarantee future psychotic depression. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, Yates became pregnant with her fifth child, Mary, only seven weeks after being discharged from Dr. Starbranch's care on January 12, 2000. Mm-hmm. Rusty stated to the media he was never told by a psychiatrist that his wife was psychotic, nor that she could harm the children, and that if he had known otherwise, he would have never ma- had more children. If I'd known she was psychotic, we'd never have even considered having more kids, he told the Dallas Observer. However, she revealed to her prison psychiatrist, Dr. Melissa Ferguson, that prior to her last child, she had told Rusty she did not want to have sex because Dr. Star Ranch said that it might hurt her children. Mm-hmm. Rusty, she said, simply asserted his pre-creative religious beliefs, complimented her as a good mother, and persuaded her that she could handle more children. So oh. it was totally the dad who... So he's like, well, it doesn't matter how you're feeling. This is what we're put on this earth to do. So you're going to do what you need to do. Yep, pretty much. What a bitch. O'Malley highlighted Rusty's continuing sense of unreality regarding having more children. During the trial, he'd successfully... It's a health risk. My God, people. Let Seriously. Her do, like, let her not have more kids. Like, you already have four. If you are informed, hey, if your wife bears any more kids, it's going to be a danger to not just herself, but to her other kids. And you're like, fuck it. Why do I care? Let's have another. That you are not a concerned husband. You are only cared about, you only care about what you believe to be right. Exactly. You're not even caring about your children at that point. No. 
I hate it. <laughs> During the trial, he successfully maintained the position that Yates would be found innocent. He had fantasies of having more children with her after she was successfully treated in a mental health facility and released on proper medication. He worked his way through various fixes for their damaged lives, such as having a surrogate motherhood and adoption, horrifying her family and attorneys and Houston psychiatrists before giving in to reality. Wow. During her trial, she was represented by Houston criminal defense attorney George Parnham. Chuck Rosenthal and district attorney in Harris County asked for the death penalty in her 2002 trial. Her case placed the M. Naughton rules along with the irresistible impulse test, a legal test for sanity, under the close public scrutiny in the United States. She was convicted of capital murder after the guilty verdict, but before sentencing, the state abandoned its request for the death penalty in light of false testimony by one of its expert psychiatrist witnesses. She was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 40 years, but the verdict was overturned. But basically, her husband was fucking crazy, and he wanted to have more kids and was in complete denial. That is so selfish. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, yeah, some of these things where I hear about someone's state of health or state of being being directly either ignored in favor of what somebody else wants literally makes me want to throw up. I'm gonna throw up. (laughs) I'm gonna throw up. (laughs) But anyways, that is so sad, though. Super sad. Yeah, and I feel like, especially in her case, too, she, even though she perpetrated these crimes, it all could have been avoided if she actually had a partner who Who, cared. Who was willing to listen to the doctor's advice and take her mental health disorders seriously. Seriously. Yeah, it would be like going into the doctor and, like, having... The doctor, Cancer. Yeah, and then your partner being like, oh, well, you know, you Here's don't- Here's a smoke anyway. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just- Ugh! I hate it. I, I hate, hate it, it too. so much. <laughs> it's one of those things that just make me, not like irrationally angry, but like, you, it just makes you a little angry and then you keep that anger with you because it makes you like perpetually angry. It's like a fire in your belly. A fire. A fire. Not so much in my belly, more so like in the bottom of my lungs. <laughs> <laughs> My diaphragm. I've got a fire in my diaphragm. You got a fire in your diaphragm. I'm a writer for Johnny Cash now. <laughs> oh, but I I guess I will start my uh, my stretchy, stretchy story. You're like Elastigirl at this point. That's I am. your new nickname. Well, my, I really do reach for some of these. And so <laughs> today, <laughs> today, I am going to tell you about changelings. What the fuck is a changeling? (laughs) Just you wait. I'm getting there. Okay. So, the relationship between humans and the fairy world is well documented in British folklore. (laughs) She's gonna bang her head off the table. Oh my god, what does this have to do with Mother's Day? (laughs) Just wait, I'm getting there. With fairy folk described as a far darker, more troublesome force than their contemporary counterparts. Our ancestors found fairies suspicious and frightening, and British mythology is rich with stories of unwary humans being tricked or punished by fae folk. So tales abound of babies stolen from their cradles and replaced by fairies, of women shocked to find a hideous creature lying where their newborn ones slept. These fairy impostors seem to be the most common 
or seem to be most common in stories from Ireland and Scotland, as well as in Northern Europe known as changelings. They were something to be feared for a great many new mothers. For anyone living in today's knowledge-rich society, it's difficult to imagine how people could truly believe that a baby could be stolen by fairies. But several hundred years ago, illness and death especially that of children, was a very real part of life, and supernatural explanations for such events probably brought a degree of comfort to people who had no knowledge of modern science or medicine. So, <laughs> you, she is, like, looking at me with these half-closed eyes in complete disbelief, because she's like, why do you fucking do this to me? <laughs> Seriously, why? She's like, I came here for crime. Don't you worry, I'm getting there. <laughs> so, Telltale signs that the fairies have replaced a child with one of their own kind include incessant crying and refusing to settle, unusual facial features or curiously distorted limbs, constant feeding at the mother's breast without ever seeming satisfied, and the ability to speak despite only being a few days old, which that is fair. If your baby is talking to you and it's literally four days old, I imagine that would probably lead you to believe that it was a fairy. I'd be like, this is a demon baby that's going up for adoption. (laughs) (laughs) So this is back in the medieval ages, though, mind you, okay? Keep that in mind as I continue this. So just leave it on someone else's doorstep and be like, not my problem anymore. Bye. So changeling babies were responsible for much ill fortune for the poor host family. Their presence would cause fresh milk to curdle and illness to plague the household. So human babies could be taken for many reasons. To replace an ailing or unattractive fairy child or to gain strength from the human mother's milk or even as the fairy folk to feed on, which is a more grisly part to it, right? So perhaps it was a way to punish humans that so often treated the fairy world with suspicion and disrespect. So conversely, some version of the changeling lore suggests that fairy folk loved human babies and thought them to be beautiful, and they only stole the prettiest and most good-natured babies to raise as their own, replacing it with a more troublesome baby. Which, I mean... I'd do it too. If I was a fairy, I mean, it could <laughs> Here, happen. take this shit disturber. I'm gonna take your angel baby. <laughs> Literally. So, in Scottish folklore, the baby was offered to the devil as a part of, <laughs> as a part of the fairy folk's tithe to hell, as in, as in the Ballad of Tamlin. In some cases, the creature left behind was not a baby, but an older member of the fairy family, perhaps a cast out or left to die among humans, ostracized from his own kind. So it would fall to the human recipients to nurse this little person person for what choice did they have? It would have been unthinkable to anger the fairies further by neglecting their cuckoo. So in other stories, the baby was not replaced by a living creature, but with a lump of wood enchanted to resemble a child. So this enchantment would wear off after a few days revealing the true fate of the baby. Sometimes the wood, called a stock or a fetch also, would seem to sicken and die, but instead of a corpse, there would lie a pile of rotting wood. So that would be another thing too, thinking you have a baby and then you go in one day and it's literally a rotten log in the cradle. What kind of mother doesn't notice that? Like, right? oh, my sweet little baby. And it's just like fucking wood. Like, that person needs help. <laughs> oh, God. But yes, so, let's see. <laughs> like, I can't even imagine the situation. Okay, this is why I pick these medieval stories, because I'm like... There's just so much that happened back then that I don't understand. Imagine, you're cradling wood. And Andrew comes in and he's like, you're like, honey, I just gave birth to our new baby. And he's like, oh my God, someone commit her. Like, she's gone. She's lost all her- It's a log. It's a log. She's literally lost 
all of her marbles. All of them. Not a single one is left. She only had one to begin with, and it's gone. I don't know where it went. Yep. There were various methods of revealing and often returning changelings, and some of them were horribly violent. So if the baby's mother suspected she was a host to a fairy child, she would try to trick it into revealing itself. So, for example, if she pretended to cook the family meal inside of a single eggshell rather than a cooking pot, the changeling would be so confused that it would sit up and recite a rhyme. What's the rhyme, Emily? Acorn before oak I knew, and an egg before a hen, but never before have I seen an eggshell brew dinner for harvest men. Having revealed itself, it would flee back to its own kind and the stolen baby would be returned. It was also said that a changeling could be exposed by holding the baby over a hot stove on an iron spade or holding it underwater. As shocking as it sounds, it's likely that many babies fell victim to such abuse in times where legends like this were widely believed. Though it's impossible to imagine inflicting such cruelty on a child nowadays, the truth was that most folk knew very little about what would have caused these strange characteristics and behaviors in their babies. So things like genetic conditions, uh, chromos, abnormalities, diseases, all could give children a strange or even frightening uh, appearance. And for your people who had never come across such things, they could only rationalize it by declaring it the work of fairies. Even in the uh, as late as the end of the 19th century, suspicions of fairy magic were a legitimate defense against a charge for murder. The most famous case is that of Bridget Cleary, an Irish woman who was burned to death by her husband Michael after she fell ill. He and a group of fellow villagers were clear to the murder as they claimed it was not Bridget they had killed, but a changeling that had taken her place. So I picked the changelings topic because, yeah, I know this is actually a pretty common thing back in the medieval days where many people would end up killing their babies and be like, oh, it's because my baby was a changeling. And then other people would be like, oh, okay. Yeah, sweet. See you later at dinner, Steve. Seriously. And completely write it off. Like how completely insane is that? Very. Mm-hmm. I know. I wanted to delve deeper into some of the other cases that they had, like the woman in the end there who ended up being killed. But since it is a Mother's Day theme, I'd like to do one where it's more mother centric rather than what the husband did to a mom but right you know i mean the mother just murdered her log but yeah or one log but yeah so that is my story uh, did you know anything about changelings before i told you about this nope i can't say i did emily well that is fair enough I I knew a little bit before, but yeah, no, I didn't realize how some of these methods of figuring out what a changeling was, though, is very much, like, (laughs) murdery. Super murdery. Just, like, a little, a touch (laughs) murdery. Criminal, even. Yeah, you criminal. Criminimal. Criminimal. Oh my god. I'm going insane, people. It's fair. It's from raising that log. (laughs) My log won't stop crying. And I got a fire in my belly. (laughs) Fire in my diaphragm. (sighs) But yeah, I think, though, that wraps up our uh, episode this week. Know what I noticed from editing and listening to these episodes? What have you noticed? You always say that. Oh. Yeah, that that's it for this episode. Oh, do I? <laughs> and I'm well, just sitting I'm... here like, I have more to say. <laughs> well, what do you have to tell me? Nothing. Okay. I'm literally nothing. <laughs> I'm used to shutting things down. <laughs> yeah, pack her up, bitch, and get out of my house. <laughs> You're not welcome anymore. <laughs> We're done with this episode. You can leave now. Take your equipment with you. <laughs> so you can listen to us on Spotify. <laughs> And iTunes. And uh, you can email us uh, wheelofcrime at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our tags are at wheelofcrime. We got some fun stuff there. Emily's been 
memeing it up on Instagram. That's true. I'm trying to keep relevant with these memes I've got. <laughs> She's got a whole library of memes ready to go, guys. I'm dubbing myself the meme queen. She's got a fire in her belly and a meme to share with the world. <laughs> yep. My new bio. <laughs> but, You're welcome. But yes, this is Emily signing off. This is Jen saying... Have a good week. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. If you're a mother, please don't murder your child. And if you're a child, please don't murder your mother. <laughs> she probably wouldn't like that as a gift. Your macaroni art is bad enough. And if you're a changeling, please send us a message and tell us what that's like. Let us know. And we'll, if you, ha- we'll have you on the podcast. You can tell us your story in person. Right? And if you have ever uh, raised a log, you can message Jenny and tell her all about it. Because I feel like she's very interested. I am so intrigued. About the, the dynamics of raising the a log. log life. <laughs> Hashtag log life. Okay, bye. All right, bye. <laughs>